1: I mean, who had that idea? Oh my goodness, you can do a lot of damage in three weeks, (laughs) Uh, but you can have a lot of fun as well, and you can learn a lot, and hopefully we're going to do that together as we uh, do a mini-series on connecting, and um, we're going to be looking at connecting with your neighbor, uh, connecting with the church next week, and connecting with God uh, in the final week. And um, as I looked at this, I thought, we all want connection, don't we? We all want better connections, whether that's better connections with our family, better connections with our neighbors, better connections with our relatives, better connections with our colleagues, or a better connection with God. It's something that's built deep into us, that desire to connect with one another. But we find that so hard. We often find that so hard. And what better way to start than to look at this familiar story which Jesus tells of the good Samaritan. There was an expert in the law. He would have been a Jewish expert in the law. Now, experts in the law like to dot I's and cross T's, okay? They like to ask searching questions and they like to test out their subject. And that's exactly what this expert in the law was doing with Jesus. As he comes to Jesus and he says, what should I do to inherit eternal life? life. It was a trick question. He was wondering whether Jesus would answer him through uh, saying that you must obey the commandments or whether he would have a different answer. And Jesus, like any good teacher, just pushes it back onto the young man and doesn't answer at all, but says, well, what do you think? And the man says, well, love, quoting the Old Testament, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly. That's right. That's a good answer. So the expert in the law is feeling very uh, proud of himself at that point and very strong and then turns on Jesus and says, well, who is my neighbor? And out of that one question gets released a story. Do you think Jesus made that story up on the spot? Or was it one that was released from the vaults of heaven for all time to actually teach us something which is an eternal truth? And Jesus tells them the story of the Good Samaritan. But turn to the person next to you just for a moment and answer the question which the teacher, the expert in the law asked Jesus. Who is your neighbor? So, who's got some good answers? Who's your neighbor? Shout them out. Who's your neighbor? Anybody. Absolutely anybody. Joan Roper, there you go. <laughs> well, you know her name. That's good. That's good. Whoever you come in contact with. Who's your neighbor? Your husband. <laughs> do you think that. Do you think that Adina is your neighbor? Adina is seven years old. Look into her eyes. What do you see? What do you see? No, she's, she's not blind actually. No. What? Sadness, desperation, innocence. I see humanity, I see hope. I see potential. Adina grew up in Aleppo in Syria. From age three, she was used to bombs falling on in her neighborhood. She went to school once, but now her school has been flattened. She lived in a tailor's shop once with her mum and dad, but they had to flee that tailor's shop and make the difficult journey into Turkey over land. And they ended up in a refugee camp where they spent two years. And during those two years in that refugee camp, they were just a number, a number who got a certain ration of food every day. And then one day, Adina's parents said to her, things are so difficult here, we need to find a future, we need to find a a hope. And so they paid a human trafficker 500 pounds each to get on an inflatable dinghy with 45 other people and make a treacherous journey from the coast of Turkey to the island of Lesbos in Greece, and that's where I met. Adina. And when they told me their story, they didn't know where they were going to go. They didn't know where they were going to end up. They didn't know if they were going to end up in Berlin or Stockholm or stay in Athens. I don't know where they are now. I pray for them regularly. I pray for Adina regularly. But is Adina your neighbor? And how would you respond if she landed in the streets of Ipswich? You see, over the last three years, one million people have become refugees and have fled from Syria and Iran and Afghanistan and have ended up in Greece and in Europe. And coupled with that, we've seen, and we have to be honest, a rise in hate crime. We've seen a rise in crime against people of other colors of skin. Just yesterday, there was released a fact that 28% of people in the UK in a survey have anti-Semitic views. The reality is that hate crime is rising, and while we might say everyone is our neighbor, the reality in our society is that we don't treat everybody as our neighbor. And the temptation for us, wouldn't it be, to, would be to retreat and to look inwards I walked this morning just up the road. There's an immigration law center. Have you noticed that just on, on the street, just up the road? Why do you think that's placed there? Because there are more refugees and immigrants in this part of Ipswich than any other part of Ipswich. That's where they come and, lay, and make their home. Look around at the demographics in this church right now. These are difficult questions. Who is your neighbor? And how do we respond? Well, we respond by looking upwards To God for strength and outwards with courage and with hope to love the Lord our God with all our hearts and all our minds and all our soul and all our strength and to love our neighbor as ourself because loving our neighbor starts with loving God. It starts with being sold out to God. That's what the, 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 uh, Jesus told the young man. It starts with loving God. It starts with being in love with Jesus. It starts with a wholehearted commitment to him, to follow him wherever he calls us to, to go, to obey him in everything that he calls us to do. Because when we love God completely, we find out who we truly are. And when we find out who we truly are, then we can start to love other people because when we know who we are, then only can we then can we love others as ourselves. But why did you think the lawyer asked Jesus, Who is my neighbour? I think he wanted him to narrow it down a little bit, yeah? To go, well, actually, it's fine. It's just the people who look like you. It's just the people who are the same class as you. It's just the people who have the same color of skin as you, who speak the same language as you, who eat the same food as you. It's fine. But actually, Jesus responds with a story, and it's a story which is really strong and powerful and clear but it's hard isn't it how should we respond how should we help the bible society did something very innovative they sent a uh, an actor out onto the streets of reddin dressed as a syrian refugee and this is what happened
2: excuse me can i ask you a question i'm not asking for money ask you a question. I'm not asking for money. I, I am a refugee. I'm looking for a place to stay. I'm from Syria. Do you know where I could find a place to stay? It's been a very, very hard... I haven't seen my family in six months. Excuse me. Excuse me. Could I ask you a question? I, I'm looking for a place to stay. Do you know a place... No, no, no,
1: no, no. no.
2: I'm, I'm looking for a place to stay. Okay. Thank do, you. do you
0: know...
2: I'm a refugee. I come from Syria. I, I don't ask for money. I'm not asking...
0: I don't have a place you can stay,
1: but I know a place you can stay. We yeah.
2: Do have a place?
1: No, no, I don't really have a place. Oh, yeah. I've got my own flat, man. Do
2: you have a friend here that I could stay with, or...? Uh, I
1: don't. I'm afraid, no.
2: no. I, I'm worried to go England, to the police. England, England is not like that. England is a country whereby you don't... have people you don't know. That's yeah. the main problem.
1: Yeah. You need to go speak to the council, written by council.
2: It's... I only need a few days because it's... It has been very hard. I
1: actually have
2: uh, a spare bedroom. So, I could potentially he- help you and let you stay for maybe about four days. This would be amazing. Okay. I'm going to take a risk because I don't know you, you're a complete stranger, but. I understand I, this, I, huh? I, You know, I'm, I, my heart goes out to people mm. who are in a situation like this. You know, this is not your fault. Mm. And I believe in helping people. Then I might be able to get you a job there in a pizza shop. I love, this, just the I love pizza. From where I love pizza. <laughs> I've been traveling for so I days. I would and... like to be in a position where I wouldn't have anywhere to stay. This is incredible. This... I cannot thank you enough.
1: Then Jesus said to the expert in the law, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, good, go and do Look likewise. So what does Jesus tell us that we should do and how should we should respond? Well, the story here is packed with meaning and it's powerful and it's strong and it's clear. And Jesus says very clearly, no, there is no limit to the compassion that we should show. It starts off with a line which to us sounds quite innocuous, but to a Jewish uh, reader or to anyone familiar with the area around Jerusalem would have hit hard. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. Well, that road was known as the road of blood it was 17 miles long and descended 3300 feet down into a valley and every day robbers and bandits would uh, would prey upon individuals who walked down there on their own so as jesus started to tell this story the thinkers the, the listeners would have been thinking what on earth was he thinking going down that road on its own stupid man He's letting himself in for it. It's his own fault that he got beaten up. What was he thinking serves him right? He was taking his life into his own hands. Um, When I was working for Samaritan's Purse once, I, I went to Ethiopia and I'd been away for 10 days, and uh, we were going out into rural communities and providing clean water uh, for people there. And I flew back, and we were trying to save money, so I flew back via Qatar or Dubai or one of those, you know, a 12-hour flight into the Middle East, and then another 12-hour flight uh, back to the UK, landed at Heathrow Airport, got on the tube, went across London, got on the train, got to Ipswich. By that time, I'm exhausted, okay, totally exhausted. I'm smelly, okay, I'm feeling horrible, my mouth is feeling dry, you know that feeling when you've been on a long journey, all you want to do is get in the shower and have a bowl of cornflakes, okay, and the last thing you want is a chatty taxi driver, well, I got in the taxi, sat down, and the man starts talking to me, where have you been, Uh, I've been to Ethiopia, Oh, what were you doing there? Well, I was working uh with a charity. We were going out into the rural areas, we we're getting quite excited about telling him and, and and we were providing water in the rural areas and he turned to me and said, You're wasting your time? I went, Oh He said he said, Yeah, it's all their own fault and have too many kids and you know, it's never gonna get any better. What are you wasting your time doing that for? I went Thanks, Mr. Ipswich Taxi Driver, for your encouragement and your support. Isn't that fantastic that you've encouraged me in such a way like that? You know, 33% of all adults in the UK believe that tackling poverty is a waste of time. And we may not have expressed that view ourselves, but we've all heard it in the pub, in the workplace, or over a dinner party. And these are words that need to be challenged by Jesus' words here. Who is your neighbor? Now, I would want to ask, uh, why didn't the priest and the Levite stop? Okay, why didn't they stop? Do you think? Well, it was 17 miles, as I've said, uh, downhill. That would take them four and a half hours. They had probably been serving in the temple all week. Jericho was known as the place where they would go and re- it was the vicar's retreat. Okay, it was their country home. Okay, worked all hard all the week. 17 miles walk home, and maybe they just started on that journey home, and they didn't want to be distracted. I sometimes feel like that, don't you, when I walk past a homeless person on the side of the street. I'm just on my way somewhere, I don't want to be distracted. Or maybe they were getting near the end of their journey, yeah, and they could smell the food on the table and they were just looking forward to getting home and having a shower and having a good uh, meal. Or maybe they were concerned about their safety. What happens if we stop here? Maybe we'll get beaten up as well. Or maybe they just didn't know what to do. Maybe they didn't have any medical training. They hadn't a clue how to respond to uh, the man who was lying on the floor in front of them. Or maybe they just thought it was someone else's problem. We can all sympathize and empathize with that. We're all busy. We all have increasing demands on our time. And actually, like that lady in the video said, it's a risk, to invite a stranger into your home. It's a risk that we might get hurt. It's a risk that we might have to take responsibility. It's a risk to get involved. It's a risk of of not knowing what's going to happen. You know, for 14 years for me, um, I was able to act that out through Samaritan's Purse. It was less of a personal risk to me because we were doing some good stuff. But as I've left employment in that space, I'm looking at how do I work that out for myself now? How do I work it out being a good Samaritan? How do I work out who my neighbor is? Um, And as I've been experimenting on that, one day going down into London, uh, I arrived at Westminster Tube Station. And I climbed up the steps of Westminster Tube Station. And what do you see as you come out of Westminster Tube Station? Big Ben in front of you. Um, But there's also a lot of homeless people. Then I really felt God prompting me this one day to at least go and talk to one, Simon. At least go and talk to one. So I started talking to Stan. Stan Stan's 26 years old. And I started learning his story. And he told me how his mum had died of a heart attack two years earlier. And as a result of that, he'd lost his flat in which he could stay because she was paying the rent and she was the earner. And therefore he'd found himself out on the streets. Uh, took Stan into Tesco's, which is next door to um, Westminster Tube Station, and he took ages, absolutely ages, picking the sandwich he wanted as part of the meal deal. I mean, it was just, it was like, you know, well, it probably was maybe the first thing that he'd had to eat that day, or maybe even over a couple of days, and he was just, Ages looking at, the, oh, I'll have that one, no, no, I'll have that one. And then even longer picking the drink and the crisps. And, and anyway, he got there. And as we walked out of Tesco's, he, he went, Simon, thank you. He said, but would you do one other thing for me? Would you text my brother to let him know that I'm still alive? Because I haven't had a mobile for the last two years because my pay-as-you-go contract just ran out and the money ran out. and Would you just text him and tell him that? I'm still alive. And, and so I, I did. And his brother replied and said, Well, thank you so much for, um, for doing that. I'm really relieved to hear that Stan is alive. And I'm trying to work that out for myself, but each of us needs to work that out for ourselves in terms of who is our neighbor. And then the story takes another twist. And Jesus says, It's a Samaritan who comes and helps. Now, to Jewish readers, I mean, this was like telling an Ipswich fan that a Norwich fan was going to help them. I mean, it was really that bad. It was like, who's the last person that you would want to help you if you're lying on the side of the road? A Norwich fan, okay? I mean, it might be worse to just lie there, or better even to, to lie there. The Samaritans were hated by the Jews. They were defiled. Uh, they defiled the Jewish temple. They had bitter fights with them. Uh, they couldn't even drink from the same cup as a Samaritan. And what's interesting in this story is they couldn't even take the oil and wine that the Jews used, they weren't allowed to share oil and wine. And yet it's the Samaritan who you notice Jesus says binds up the wounds with oil and wine on a Jewish man. It's the Samaritan who puts him on his Donkey. It's the Samaritan who takes him to the inn. It's the Samaritan who stays overnight till the following morning and gives the, man, gives the innkeeper two denarii to look after him and promise him to give even more money when he comes back again. You see, this story leaves us with two big questions. What does it look like to love someone? Spending two minutes with them? Buying them a meal in Tesco's? Give them in your spare room, loving them for life. And is anybody off limits? Are refugees off limits? Are ISIS off limits? Are the homeless people off limits? Are people who've caused their own problems and whose fault it is off limits? And Jesus would say, no, no one is off limits. In the nineteen fifties, Bob Pierce started an organization called World Vision, which has grown to be one of the largest international relief organizations around the globe. And he ran that for twenty years and then left and joined Samaritan's Purse and started that. And he had this saying let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. To to be honest We can be overwhelmed, can't we? We can go, where on earth do we start? What else, what can we really do? How can we really make a difference? Well, it starts with praying this prayer. Let my heart be broken by the things that break the heart of God. It's a dangerous prayer. It's a cry from our hearts. Lord, break my heart with what's breaking yours. Give me your compassion how do we do it? Well, Jesus had compassion and he acted. He chose not just to explain our suffering, but to enter our suffering. Not just to Talk about our suffering, but to enter in it, into it. Jesus, who was fully God and yet fully man, experiencing our suffering and our pain, and coming alongside and changing everything for the better. In Luke 7, we read of him coming to a widow whose son has just died, and having so much compassion that he wept, and then he raised the son back into life. In Matthew 15, we read of a crowd of 5,000 people who were hungry and hadn't been fed all day. And he brought them bread and fish and fed them and left them changed because they'd been fed. In Matthew 9, we find Jesus having compassion on those who were downhearted and discouraged like sheep without a shepherd. And in Matthew 20, we find him healing two blind men and giving them sight back because of the compassion that He felt. You see, Jesus didn't just see people suffering and talk about them. He did something about them. He didn't leave the disciples in the middle of the storm on the boat, he calmed the waves. He didn't leave Lazarus in the tomb, he raised him to life again. He didn't leave guests at the wedding without any wine. He took the water and changed it into the best wine available. He didn't leave the blind men and the deaf men not seeing and not hearing. He gave them back their sight and their hearing. We have a God who delights in turning mourning into dancing, sorrow into joy, suffering into triumph, darkness into light, and death into life. And Jesus invites us to respond by saying, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. If we want to see Christ back in our communities, then Jesus calls us to feed the hungry, to clothe the naked, to free the prisoners, to bind up the brokenhearted, to heal the sick, and to include those who are marginalized and excluded. I wonder what you think it would look like if we all took seriously that command to go and do likewise. This is Samara. Samara is a young mum who lives in Brighton on the south coast. She has two young children. I met her earlier this summer and was deeply moved by her story. Back in 2013, she watched on the television uh, the bombs hitting Aleppo and Homs in Syria and decided that she had to do something about it. Now, she's a young mum. Her kids are in primary school. Okay? She's doing the school run every day. She's a nurse. Um, her husband's out at work. She's got enough on her plate. But she saw what was happening in Syria, and she started ringing around various charities and saying, what can I do? What can I do? These people need help. What can I do? And every single charity that she rang went, well, there's not much you can do, really. It's a really difficult situation. It's difficult to get things in. It's really hard. Um, You know, we're doing a little bit there, but it's a bit under the radar. And, And she went, enough of this. There are people suffering. There must be something I can do. So through a friend, she got introduced to a doctor who was working in Aleppo And the doctor said to her, we're desperate for medical supplies. We're absolutely desperate for bandages, drugs, anything you can send us. Please send us. I'm a young mum. I don't know how to do this. I've got no idea. So she prayed. And she got her church praying. And in 2014, they sent their first container, a lorry full of aid, to Syria, to that doctor in Aleppo. And since 2014, she and her friends have sent 77 containers of medical aid to the people of Syria. She's opened five hospitals in Syria and supported those five hospitals single-handedly as part of Samara's aid appeal because she took seriously jesus's command to go and do likewise and this is a bit of her story
0: she could be any five-year-old getting bandaged up in hospitals the world over but this little girl was hurt falling in the rubble left by explosions outside her home in syria She and all these other patients only have access to medical care at all thanks to an appeal started by one woman from Brighton. Hospitals are continually targeted and attacked in Syria deliberately. About half of the medical profession have left the country. It's so dangerous now and doctors and nurses are actively targeted and killed. A few weeks ago, a father was brought into our hospital having been shot in the abdomen. If he had had to be transported to another hospital it would have taken a good four and a half hours for him to get there and he would have died during that time we can't say exactly where they are for security reasons but one of the hospitals is in an area previously held by the so-called islamic state group the appeal also funds a medical team in the aleppo area scene of some of the war's fiercest fighting Samara Levy started collecting clothes and shoes from parents at her son's school in August 2014. Now, two years later, her volunteers are about to finish their 47th lorry load of donations, ready to set off for refugee camps in Syria and Iraq, as well as to supply the two new hospitals. My dad died about a little over a year ago, and we actually labelled the boxes and marked them with with red tape. And Samara had them tracked, and we actually saw images of the man that actually received the aid box. So we know that it gets there, and Dad would have been really proud. So, yeah, it's good. But the hospitals also need financial donations to be able to operate. The first treated 1,000 patients last month, but currently the appeal is only raising enough money to run them at a third of their full capacity. The lead doctor in Syria was worried about his safety if he spoke to us on the phone, but agreed to answer my questions over email, describing his struggles with team members being kidnapped, equipment stolen and coping with physical attacks on staff. The most difficult part, he said, is to keep our team encouraged. Imagine if you see 10 dead people each day. Sometimes I want to cry. I feel that I have to be like Superman, but I'm just a normal man. And with the conflict in Syria as bitter and bloody as ever, Samara and her team are now fundraising for their third hospital. Amanda BBC Southeast today.
1: So who is your neighbour? For Samara, it was the refugees from Syria and the people trapped still in Syria. They were Samara's neighbour. Luke 6 and 27 says this, But to you who are listening, I say, Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. It would be tempting, wouldn't it, with so much atrocity going around the world to actually retreat into our churches, to shut the doors, to watch another Netflix box set, to shut our home doors, to not let anybody in, to retreat into ourselves. But now more than ever, people need Jesus They need to hear about him and his love and his compassion. Now is the time for us to go and punch some holes in the darkness, not to let the darkness invade. Now is the time for us to see healing and restoration come, to bind up the wounds, to choose to be those who will cross over the road to the other side and see the man who's lying there beaten up by robbers and bleeding and dying. And Jesus calls us to go and do likewise in the name of Jesus. I wonder what it might look like for you if you took seriously that question and that command from Jesus to go and do likewise. Maybe you'd go out of here today and you'd cross the road to the Suffolk Refugee Service and you'd knock on their door and go, how can I help Or maybe you decide that actually you want to go to lunch club and help at lunch club. Or maybe you decide that you want to be a street pastor and you want to be out there on the street seeing people who are actually in the ditches of life on a Friday or a Saturday night. Or maybe you just want to get involved in Samara's Aid Appeal and pack a lorry and send some stuff to Syria because that's what God's laid on your heart. Or maybe like Mark, you'd get trained up to, in disaster relief and go and serve with Samaritan's Purse and there are other good aid organizations out there as well in the Caribbean and help with logistics. Or maybe you'd go across to the international church and, 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 and help them with their English language school. Or maybe you'd find out in this community what people are from different communities and what languages are spoken and how we as a church could be serving them I wonder if in the silence now you would just pray this prayer with me Lord let my heart be broken by the things that break your heart Lord let my heart be broken by the things that break your heart and if you're serious maybe we could all close our eyes and if you're serious about praying that prayer Maybe you'd just like to stand. And just as we pray together, call out to God, Lord, let my heart be broken by the things that break your heart. Because loving your neighbor starts with loving God. And loving your neighbor starts with a willingness to let our hearts be broken and to be softened. And we say to God, no more hard hearts. No more walking by people lying on the side of the road. No more communities that are broken. No more racism. No more loneliness. Lord, break my heart with the things that are breaking yours. Lord, uh, would you break our hearts? Break our hearts for the things that are breaking yours. Soften our hearts, Father God. Let us be those that are marked by love, that are marked by taking the risk to cross the road, that are marked by taking the risk to love, that are marked by taking the risk to engage with those who look differently to us and speak differently to us and eat differently to us. Father God, break our hearts. Would you do that in this moment? Would you just break our hearts? Help us not to be afraid to cry. Let us not be afraid to feel the weight of pain that you feel for your broken world. In this moment, by your Holy Spirit, would you just break us? Break us, Jesus, with what's on your heart. Jesus, Jesus. Do something Deep and powerful and personal in our lives that sends us out to stop running around ignoring what's happening and to engage Jesus. Maybe you take a seat uh, a moment because um, before we finish, there's a different angle that I just want to look at this story from. Every story that Jesus told the listener was always able to relate into a character. Have you noticed that? And I just wonder who this expert in the law was relating into. I don't think it was the priest. I don't think it was the Levite. And I don't think it was the Samaritan. So who would he have related into? I believe he would have related into the man who was lying by the side of the road who was beaten up, who was bleeding and needed rescuing. And maybe as you've been listening this morning and you've heard these stories of extravagant love and extravagant compassion and God breaking our hearts and you going and being the neighbor that someone is beaten up needs, that maybe you're relating more to the man who's lying on the side of the road beaten up right now. And that actually in your life, there's so much pain and hurt that actually even the thought of loving someone else like that is too much. And the thought of loving neighbor is actually, actually I need to love myself first. And there's some great news in this story. There's some fantastic news in this story because the Samaritan comes along and shows extravagant love and rescues the man who's in the pits of, of life and saves him. And it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us. It's a beautiful picture of the ultimate good Samaritan the ultimate rescuer, the ultimate good neighbor who doesn't wait for us to be back on our feet to rescue us and saves us, but comes to us while we're lying in the ditches of life, while we're in pain and we're hurting and we're in agony and we're bruised and we're beaten up. You see, whilst we were still enemies of God, Samaritan and Jews, while we were still enemies enemies of God, Jesus came and died on the cross for us to rescue us, to bring us his gift of salvation, to transform our lives, to help us live differently. We were once enemies, we were once beaten up. And the Good Samaritan is the story of the ultimate rescuer, the ultimate saviour, Ultimate gift of salvation. So don't leave today if you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ. If you haven't allowed him to come and rescue you and transform you and be your savior. Wherever you are, you don't have to get it sorted first. You don't have to get it all sorted first. Some of you have been trying for too long struggling for too long, going, one day I'll be, I'll be enough for Jesus. Come to him as you lie on the side of the road, beaten up, battered, bruised. He knows your story. He knows your story. And he's the one who crosses the road and who gets down on his knees and picks you up and loves you with compassion and care and wants you to know that his child that he's a good good father